Hello, you guys. What is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct and welcome to the first episode of Halloween 2022. If you have not been following or if this is the first you're hearing of Halloween, Halloween is the one time of the year where we cover five back to back Halloween inspired true crime cases on the podcast. This is something that we have done for about four years now. I believe this is the fourth Halloween, if not the fifth that we have done here. And it is my favorite time of the year. It is the busiest time of the year, but I also know how much you guys love Halloween. And it truly is a great time to bring awareness to a lot of these cases. So what is going to happen is from now until the 28th of October, you guys are going to get a case every single day. That includes on the podcast and on YouTube. So buckle up and get ready because you guys are going to have a lot of podcast content to listen to. And I, for one, cannot wait. I'm so excited. This is my favorite time of the year ever. So with that being said, let's just jump in to the first Halloween episode of this year. Today, we are talking about the solved case of Doreen Herbert. This truly is a Halloween nightmare. Doreen Ray Hitchens was born on November 29th, 1952 in Santa Clara, California. Now, Doreen grew up in a very tight-knit and loving family. She was said to have had an infectious smile and laugh, and she also had a super magnetic personality. Everyone was drawn to her. Doreen was also very determined and very goal-oriented, and after she graduated college, she ended up getting a job as a physical therapist in San Francisco. And once she settled into her new city and her new job, she also got introduced to a new love interest, and that would be a guy named William Michael Dennis, who went by the nickname Mike. Mike was a factory worker whose job was located right next to Doreen's physical therapy office. So starting from when he was a child, Mike had suffered from hearing loss. And because of that, it required him to wear hearing aids 24-7. And wearing those hearing aids was a lot less normalized back then than it is today. And the technology behind hearing aids has advanced so rapidly since then as well that people who have hearing aids, oftentimes you can't even tell because you can't see them. However, back then it was different. They were bigger, they were bulkier, they had wires, and you would have to put those wires into your back pocket. It was just more noticeable. And not that it's something that ever has to be hidden. However, kids are mean. And so because of that, and because Mike was wearing these big bulky hearing aids at school, it made him an easy target for kids to bully him. Along with that, Mike also had a stutter. And so you put the hearing aids and the stutter and Mike was a very easy target for these kids. And he suffered a lot of bullying. Now the bullying really created a snowball effect because once Mike was bullied, the result from that was that he became very antisocial. And because of that, that snowballed into him being depressed because he really lacked in that social activity that teenagers need. And then the lack of social activity then snowballed into a lack of a romantic life. So it was just one 
big snowball effect. And Mike really fell into a depression. However, when he met Doreen, he was absolutely thrilled. He thought that he met the love of his life. This was his person. And the two of them really only dated for several months before they ended up getting married. And in 1976, Doreen and Mike welcomed their first child into the world. And that was a boy named Paul. And Doreen and Mike were absolutely thrilled about becoming new parents. They loved their son more than anything, and they loved this family dynamic that they had now created. However, with that comes a stress in the change of the family dynamic. Obviously, we all know that having a child is a lot of responsibility, and sometimes it is too much to bear for a lot of couples. And Doreen and Mike were one of those couples because ultimately just one year after Paul was born in 1977, Doreen and Mike ended up getting a divorce. After the divorce was finalized, Doreen and Mike also came to a custody agreement. And that agreement was that Doreen had primary custody and Mike got temporary custody. So Mike was able to see Paul on the weekends and then Doreen had him for the rest of the week. Now, neither Doreen nor Mike were necessarily happy about getting a divorce. I don't think that anyone is happy for the most part when having to get a divorce. They both thought that they were going to be with each other forever. They thought they were each other's soulmates and they had a really hard time moving past it. But Mike in particular had a really hard time with the fact that his family was splitting up and he became very bitter about all of it. Out of Doreen and Mike, Mike was definitely the one that had a harder time moving past the fact that his relationship with Doreen was officially over and that his marriage was over. And while Doreen wasn't happy about the fact that she was getting a divorce by any means, she definitely wasn't dwelling on the past. She ended up marrying her second husband, a man named Charles Herbert, who was a carpenter. Doreen ended up moving in with Charles in San Jose, California, and the two of them began their married life together, which started with their daughter, Deanna, in 1979. And if you do the math there, Doreen and Charles's daughter was born just about three years after Paul was and two years after the divorce happened. And because Doreen had primary custody of Paul, she raised her two children with Charles in a house that they all lived in together. And that was definitely a hard pill for Mike to swallow. He felt like he was watching another man come in and take his place and basically live his life with his family. So there was bitterness all the way around. However, unfortunately, in February of 1980, a tragedy struck this family. Paul, who was only four years old at the time, had ended up climbing through the fence that surrounded the family pool at the Herbert's house and ended up falling into the water and drowning. Now, Doreen was home at the time. However, she didn't notice that Paul was in the pool until it was too late. Paul was then rushed to the hospital where he was put on life support for a week and a half. However, ultimately after realizing that there was no chance for survival here, he ended up being taken off life support and passed away. Now the passing of a child is an unfathomable loss that no family under any circumstance deserves to go through. And you can really only imagine what the devastating toll Paul's loss took 
on this family. And Mike in particular was heavily struggling with this. And he really blamed Doreen and Charles for the death of Paul. In Mike's mind, he thought that Doreen did not do enough to try and save Paul because she was home at the time of the accident. Mike even went as far as filing a wrongful death lawsuit against Charles and Doreen in March of 1982. However, that decision basically backfired on him when the judge ruled in favor of Charles and Doreen. So the wrongful death lawsuit didn't go through and that only ignited more of a bitterness in Mike because he felt that his son wasn't getting justice. But at that point, Doreen and Charles decided that it was in the best interest of them and their daughter to cut off all contact with Mike. It was clear to them that Mike was still living in the past about his marriage to Doreen and now was blaming Doreen for the tragic accident that took their son's life. And Charles and Doreen decided that enough was enough and they were going to fully cut off contact with Mike. Because if you think about it at this point, the only real reason that Doreen and Mike were in contact at all was because of Paul, because that was the child that they shared and they had a custody agreement. However, after Paul's passing, Doreen knew that there was no reason for her to keep Mike in her life. But that wasn't good enough for Mike because Mike truly believed that Doreen had murdered their son. He was telling friends, he was telling family that Doreen murdered Paul, despite how evident it was to everyone around that Doreen was also heavily, heavily struggling with the loss of her son. It didn't seem to matter to Mike. He had his mind made up about his son's death and because of the divorce and the loss of his child, Mike's mental health started to rapidly decline, as you can imagine. And it didn't help that shortly after the loss of Paul, Mike also lost his job at the factory. So now he lost his job, lost his child, and lost his wife. And you can imagine the toll that that takes on a person. And instead of trying to move forward with his life and look towards the future, Mike was dwelling in the past. However, Doreen and Charles, on the other hand, were moving forward because in 1984, Doreen actually announced to her friends and family that she was pregnant again. Not only was this incredibly bittersweet and special for Doreen because it was her first child since Paul's death, however, also because Doreen had suffered from two miscarriages before this pregnancy. So she was finally getting her rainbow baby after so many losses and she could not have been happier. And her and Charles were even more thrilled when they found out that this baby was going to be a boy and Deanna was so excited to be a big sister and the baby was due in early November, right after Halloween. So this all brings us to Halloween night, October 31st, 1984. Deanna was four years old at the time and she was heavily into her trick-or-treating phase. She was finally at the age where she could really comprehend and understand the concept of trick-or-treating and having a costume and going to get candy. And so she could not wait to get out there. So her and Doreen went trick-or-treating while Charles stayed at home and passed out candy to the neighborhood kids. 
And by the time Doreen and Deanna got home, it was around 8.30 p.m. that night. And Charles decided once the girls got home that he was gonna run to the liquor store really quick and pick up some more candy for the remainder of the trick-or-treaters for the evening. Charles ended up leaving the house around 8.50 p.m. that night, and he estimated that he was only gone about 15 minutes. So he went to the liquor store, picked up the candy, drove back home. However, when he came back, he noticed that his front door was unlocked, which even for it being Halloween was something that struck him as odd because he knew that there was no more candy to give to the trick-or-treaters. That's why he had gone to the liquor store in the first place. So there was no reason for the door to be unlocked. However, when he walked in his home, he walked in on a nightmare. Hey guys, what's up? It's Savannah. I wanted to take a quick second away from Hollow Week to announce to my Killer Instinct family that I am starting a brand new podcast called My Thoughts Exactly. If you're familiar with my lifestyle channel on YouTube, then you already know that I have a lot of thoughts and I'm certainly not afraid to share them. Everything from horrible breakups, self-worth, navigating friendships, health and wellness, and simply navigating life, I've shared it all. And don't worry, Killer Instinct isn't going anywhere, but I'm so excited to bring it back where it all started and tell it like it is. That includes the good, the bad, and the ugly. Think of it like us FaceTiming over a glass of wine. First episode premieres on November 9th, and you can subscribe on any podcast platform to stream it, and I can't wait to see you there. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. When Charles walked into his home, he found Doreen laying in the entranceway completely bludgeoned, and their unborn son was taken out of Doreen's stomach, taken into the living room, and hacked to death. Now, when Doreen was found, she actually did have a faint pulse. However, despite the best efforts of first responders to keep her alive, Doreen passed away on her way to the hospital. The autopsy revealed that Doreen died from multiple stab wounds. The wounds were inflicted with a heavy, sword-like instrument, and she suffered many cuts all around her head, and some deep enough that they penetrated her skull, and one even went two inches into her brain. The rest of her body was also severely cut. She had cuts on her thighs, her stomach, and her chest. Her stomach and bowel were cut open, her placenta was cut out, and there were four cuts to the umbilical cord. The crime scene was so horrific and bloody that Charles ended up slipping in the blood and falling onto the floor. Once he got up off the floor, he was able to find Deanna, who was thankfully still alive and hiding behind the couch. 
First responders were immediately called by Charles and police arrived at the scene at around 9.15 p.m. And when they got there, it truly looked like something out of a horror movie. There was blood all over the floor, blood splatter on the walls of the entryway and on the ceiling. And officers described the scene as quote unquote, completely eerie and completely bizarre and it really only got worse from there. Once authorities arrived on the scene, they discovered a wolf Halloween mask lying in the entryway right before the front door. This mask had exaggerated teeth, bulging eyes, and its tongue was sticking out. The mask was covered in blood, and there was also a trail of blood that led out of the house and all the way down the block before it made an abrupt stop, which led police to believe that this killer might have gotten away in a getaway car. Now, the first thing police did is they obviously interviewed Charles, considering the fact that they always look at the spouse and the fact that he was the one to find his family. Now, they were quickly able to rule Charles out due to the fact that he did have an alibi and they were able to corroborate his story of him being at the liquor store. And they were also able to speak to Deanna, who was the only one at the house at that time that could tell them what happened. Now, according to Deanna, at around 9 p.m., her and her mom, Doreen, were inside of the house when there was an aggressive knock at the front door. Deanna remembered her mom opening the door to a man wearing a wolf mask who said, I'm going to kill you. And the man was holding a large 18-inch machete in his hand. Now, Deanna remembers her mom looking at her in that moment and telling her to run and get out of the house and hide. And that's when Deanna decided to hide behind the couch where she was ultimately found by her dad. Now, even though Deanna did peek around the couch at one or two occasions during the attack, she says she doesn't remember what she saw when she did that, which ultimately I think everyone can agree is for the best. Once Deanna knew that this man did leave, she ended up walking out of the couch to see what happened. She saw all the blood all over the floor, and that's when she went back to her hiding spot behind her couch until Charles came home. So after the police were able to clear Charles of any involvement, they started talking to him about if there was anyone that he could think of that would want to hurt his family or his wife. And that is when Charles brought Mike to police's attention. Charles told police all about the family history with Mike and the bitterness that came out of the divorce, as well as the bitterness that resulted from the loss of Paul. And when doing that, police knew that Mike was someone that they needed to speak to. And they knew that that wouldn't be very difficult because Mike only lived about two miles away from where Charles and Doreen lived. Police arrived to Mike's house at 12.23 a.m., so this was just several hours after the murders, and saw that there was a truck in the driveway. When police lit a flashlight into the truck, they saw blood on the steering wheel, as well as on the keys that were left in the car. 
They began knocking on Mike's door and knew he was home because they could see lights on in the house and hear the water running. However, they didn't get an answer. Police then theorized that Mike was intentionally ignoring the knocks because he was trying to wash away any evidence. So that's when police began knocking more aggressively until ultimately Mike answered the door. Now, once Mike opened the door, police informed him about Doreen as well as her unborn child's brutal murder. And according to them, Mike was very unfazed. He acted very nonchalant about the whole situation. He invited police into his house to talk further about what happened. And when he did that, authorities noticed that Mike had a bandage on his right hand. Now, when asked about it, Mike said that it was due to him tossing a knife in the air and catching it on the blade side by accident. Now, police also asked Mike while they were there if he could give them some sort of identification. And that is when Mike walked upstairs with a police officer to grab his license. And while they were up there, the police officer noticed that the bed did not look like it had been slept in at all. In fact, it was perfectly made and that felt odd to police due to the time of night it was. Now, one could argue that Mike is a night owl, he stays up late and he doesn't get into bed until the early morning hours. However, due to the situation, it definitely was questionable. Now, while they were there, police had asked Mike if it was okay with him if they searched through his house. And Mike actually had no problem with this. He said it was completely fine because he had nothing to hide. However, despite that claim, it did not take police long to find articles of clothing with large amounts of blood on it. When it came to his alibi, Mike said that he had finished work at 4 p.m. that day. He went home, he passed out some candy to the kids who came trick-or-treating, but he said he never left his home that night. When looking through his house, police also found a trail of blood that ran alongside Mike's garage, and the excess of blood and bandages alone in that house was enough for police to arrest Mike. So you have to think about the amount of bandages and blood that they found, because there has to be a lot of evidence of blood and bandages around to a concerning degree for them to be able to arrest Mike. And Mike was arrested for murder. Police were able to get a warrant to search through his house a second time. And during this second search, they ended up finding a receipt from a hardware store for a machete with an 18 inch blade that Mike had purchased. Not only that, police also found two homemade coffins in the garage. One was for Charles and one was for Doreen. They also found body bags, weights, and a map of the San Francisco Bay. So Mike's plan was actually to murder both Charles and Doreen. However, it just so happened that at the time of the attack, Charles was at the liquor store, which ultimately is what saved his life. And Mike's plan was after murdering both of them, he was going to dump their bodies in the bay underneath the San Mateo Bridge. 
Now you would think that everything that I just told you, if the amount of blood and bandages wasn't enough and the blood found in his car wasn't enough, then surely the two handmade coffins, the map, the weights, the body bag, that would all have to be enough to hold Mike. However, the judge determined that the evidence that was found was purely circumstantial and he was released from jail only 48 hours later. But then three days later, on November 5th, 1984, investigators were able to match the blood at the crime scene as a DNA match to Mike. And that was the physical evidence that they were looking for. So once they found that, Mike was arrested a second time. Now, along with that piece of physical evidence, detectives were also able to link Mike to this wolf mask that was found at the scene. It turns out that Mike had worn this wolf mask to a Halloween party that he had attended the previous year. And there is actually a picture of him in it, which looking at it now, it just has this very weird and eerie feeling to it. And police learned that he wore this mask to this party so he could dress as the big bad wolf the year prior. And just to elevate the creepiness of this case, police were speaking to some of the Herbert's neighbors, and that is when they learned through multiple of the children that they had all noticed a man wearing a wolf mask standing on the opposite side of the street of Charles and Doreen's home around 7 p.m. that night. So just imagine while all these kids are running around trick-or-treating, there is a grown man wearing a wolf mask, carrying a machete, standing across the street, staring in to Charles and Doreen's home. Now, Mike's trial began in July of 1988. He pled guilty to the first degree murder of Doreen and to the second degree murder of Doreen's unborn child. Now, there was actually a psychologist who had interviewed Mike who testified at his sentencing trial. And this is when a lot more information about the killings themselves came forward. Now, again, this is all from Mike's perspective and from what Mike had said happened. Mike had told the psychologist that when Doreen opened the door, she didn't initially recognize him at first. However, Mike then told her, you killed my boy. And it's then that Doreen recognized Mike's voice and told him to leave. And that is when he told her, I'm going to kill you. Now, Mike told the psychologist that he didn't know that Doreen was pregnant, which is really hard to believe considering the fact that Doreen was five feet tall and everyone who knew her, her friends, her family, everyone said that she was very noticeably pregnant. Her friends even joked that she was as tall as she was wide. So this notion of not knowing is not necessarily believable. And Mike even went as far as saying that if he knew that Doreen was pregnant, he wouldn't have gone through with the murders, which again, isn't very believable considering he went to the extent of removing her unborn child from her stomach, placing it on the opposite side of the room and assaulting him with a machete. Mike told the psychologist that while he was stabbing Doreen to death, he asked her how it felt to drown, which is obviously in reference to the loss of their son. 
In September of 1999, Mike was sentenced to death via the gas chamber, which I feel like is not something that we have seen very often, especially in the cases that we cover that involve the death penalty. More often, it's by lethal injection. However, Mike's sentence is through the gas chamber, and he is still currently sitting on death row at San Quentin State Prison and is 72 years old. Now, Charles and Deanna have since lived on to honor Doreen and the baby. They have taken this absolute horrific tragedy and they have tried their best to move forward in their lives. They have said, quote, I want him to know that we survived and we are making it and he hasn't conquered us. That was a quote from Charles that he said in a 2016 interview. And that is the case of Doreen Herbert and the murder of her and her unborn child. And just a recap of this case, I think it is absolutely horrific. It embodies every single horror movie that you ever see. It not only plays it into real life, but also amplifies it. Whether he is physically there or not, Doreen was the mother of his child. And to stab her to death with a machete, wearing a wolf mask and asking her how it feels to drown is a horrifying thought. And to imagine the premeditation that went into it, he had to go out of his way to go to the hardware store and to purchase the machete. He had the body bags, he had the coffins. He thought that he was going to get away with it. And then to have the mental image of him standing across the street in a wolf mask, staring straight into the house of Doreen and Charles, knowing what he was about to do is terrifying. Not only was Doreen and Charles's son's life taken before it even started, but then you have Deanna, who was hiding behind the couch the entire time while her mother was being slaughtered to death. It is absolutely horrific and something that no child nor person deserves to go through. But the fact that it was a four-year-old girl is just heartbreaking. But with that being said, you guys, that is the first episode of Halloween. I hope you enjoyed today's case. I'm really interested to see what you guys have to say about it, what your thoughts are on the whole thing, because I know I certainly have a lot of thoughts and I would love to hear yours as well. So let me know what you think about this one. And with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for joining the first episode of Halloween, but I will be back tomorrow with a brand new case for you guys. And I cannot wait to see you there. So until then, stay safe. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye guys.